0: Let's pray together, let's pray. Our Lord, as we come uh, now to your word, we do pray that we come to it in that self same spirit that we have been singing to you. Hallelujah, what a savior. Lord, uh, as we come to your word, we come to the savior's word. That has a saving word. We pray Lord then by your Spirit that uh, your word would speak life and health and newness to us all. And I pray Lord particularly that you would help us to see a vision for your church as the Savior's church. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. So friends, you turn with me now in your Bibles to so Acts chapter 2, and we're looking this morning uh, from verse 42 to verse 47. Acts chapter 2, and from verse 42 through to verse 47, you'll find it on page 911 in the church Bible, so if you have a different translation, that's fine. And as I say, Acts chapter 2, and from verse 42. As any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, this is now the second in a two-part series that I've called College and Church. Uh, You may remember from last week we were looking at Daniel chapter 1 and we discovered there how there is in God's Word a recipe for thriving as a college student and indeed in all of life as uh, we have the faithful courage where we dare to be a Daniel uh, based upon the sovereignty of God in whatever situation we find ourselves in. This morning we're looking at Acts chapter 2. It may be a familiar passage to college church people. It was actually the first passage I preached on here as a pastor just about 10 years ago now. Uh, And uh, since then, to quote a commercial that is current and popular at the moment, I think, um, uh, I now know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. And uh, this uh, morning uh, I have a goal, that is to explain why go to church, which is the title for the sermon, from this passage, Acts chapter 2, and to let this passage do its work, which is to communicate a vision of uh, what church is and from that what cottage church uh, could be and indeed um, the leadership is planning the next year or so to be. Now, of course, the difficulty for many of us today when we think about church is there are so many different messages about church in our culture, around all the time, some of them quite cynical, um, some of them justly critical. Uh, I think it was was John Cleese, the comedian, uh, who's uh, best known for his starring role in Monty Python. John Cleese has made any number of somewhat cynical jokes about the church in his career, but at one point he wrote this. Yes, I know it's easy to make fun of the organized churches, but has it occurred to anyone to wonder why it's so easy? What gets my goat is that religion should be the most exciting topic of all. Is there an afterlife? Can we have a real purpose to our lives? How can we love our enemy when it seems about as easy as levitating? To what extent is self-interest moral? Is there an experience of the divine that we can achieve? All the vital questions have been dumped in favor of half-baked, po-faced rituals, which are basically a form of middle-class rain dance, he says. Still, he carried on, it did give me the chapel scene in The Meaning of Life, which if you've seen that, I'm sure you don't want to confess that you have this morning, is quite funny. Well, perhaps you do feel a bit like that. Uh, perhaps you do wonder, why go to church? I mean, after all, you, you read um, the news these days, for instance, about, um, well, let's just pick one. The sexual abuse scandal currently plaguing the Roman Catholic Church. Why should you go to church if people behave like that? Or maybe you've just been reading the Chicago Tribune over the last few months or so and come across purported scandals among the leadership of multi-site churches. Why go to church? That's what it's really like. It's a complete waste of everyone's time, isn't it? If not worse. Well, if you do wonder why I go to church, the book of Acts is uh, for you. One of the most famous preachers of the 20th century, Martin Lloyd Jones, said this about Acts Live in that book, I exhort you. It is a tonic, the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the Spirit. So, anyway, I have a proposition for you this morning, and it is the following. Everyone who comes to college church can be a part of an exciting kingdom movement when you imagine what the church could be. Seems to me then that by God's spirit we need a sight of Christ and a vision of church and it starts with a faithful imagining. Imagining. See, the empowered church in Acts is filled with people who have joyfully resolved to follow Jesus. And I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine people coming in. I want you to imagine people on a growth curve up. I want you to imagine people going out. First, in. Imagine a church where people are constantly coming in. This story here is framed around a movement of people in. It starts really in verse 41, the verse before the passage that we read out with, of course, Peter's Pentecost preaching when about 3,000 people were added in. And then it tells us at the end of the story in verse 47 that we did read out that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. There's this constant movement in. Now you might say, well, that's just a story it's make-believe. It's fiction, isn't it? Don't we all know that the book of Acts is a late-dated um, fantasy? Well, no, actually, there are scholars uh, from Oxford University professors like Sir William Ramsey and A.N. Showen white to Colin Hemer, who have shown that Acts is accurate. Just a couple of quotations for you. According to Showen white the historical framework is exact. Or well, Colin Hema reports, Luke Acts, it's the second part of a two-volume work, this book of Acts. Luke Acts shares with some of the best minds of antiquity a, a concern for what actually happened. Oh no, this is, this is what happened. Or maybe uh, more practically, you say, well, no one expects this kind of evangelistic impact to be a true of church anymore. I mean, come on, let's get real Church is not the kind of place where people who don't know Christ are just going to come in and be saved. You know, you know one of the ways uh, that uh, you can tell which parts of Acts we are meant still to experience today and which parts are just descriptions of what happened then, one of the ways that the author of Acts indicates for us what we're still meant to experience today is by Repetition. So if Acts is prescribing, not only describing, if it is saying this is what you, sh- you should make sure you do now too, the event is repeated for emphasis. So this movement of people in is repeated at the start and end of this summary. And the summary here of the church is the first of three repeated in quick succession. Chapter 2, then chapter 4, then chapter 5, all very similar accounts of this church. And each time specifically emphasized is evangelism, people coming in. So at the end of the first one here it says the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. But then in the next one it says with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then in the final of these three summaries of the church it says more than ever believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both Men and women. So, by repetition, Acts is emphasizing that evangelism, people coming into Christ and into the church, is something the church should experience still today. What is more, that emphasis is then also repeated over and over again throughout Acts as a sort of series of stepping stones of gospel hope from then right up until, well, up until today. Step one, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Step two, the word of God increased and multiplied. Step three, the word of God continued to increase and multiply. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. Step Four, the church is increased in numbers daily. Step five, the word of the law continued to increase and prevail mightily. All these stepping stones. At the end of it, you find Paul in Rome. And in a way, it ends in a cliffhanger. And you wonder what's going to happen next. And the point is that these, these stepping stones of gospel, word of God increase, evangelism, people coming into Christ and into church all the way up until today. See, the book of Acts is saying that Jesus, by means of the active evangelism of the church, Jesus is sovereignly causing people to come to him to be saved, to to become part of the church. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, what that means is church is not a religious golf club. Being part of a biblical church is not like being a member of a gym where you receive services and pay your dues and occasionally tip the staff. It's not like being on a bus where the pastors at the front do all the evangelistic driving and the rest of us shout instructions from the back like backseat drivers. No, no, no being a part of a biblical church is well it's like being an outpost of the kingdom of heaven in a foreign territory with the mission to persuade as many people as possible to come in when you join the church it's like you're joining the navy seals you're behind enemy lines You have a mission. Life and death is at stake as you seek to rescue as many people as possible and leave no one behind. We are not consumers. We are ambassadors. We're not coming to church to have our needs met. We're coming to church to bring people with us that they together with us might come into the kingdom. We care for each other, of course. We love each other but not as a holy huddle. We have a mission, a purpose, to bring people into Jesus and into church. And you say, well, that sounds good, but how? Imagine. Imagine a church where 90% of college church disciples were taking a course on apologetics So that they were able to answer the questions that non Christians ask. Imagine a church where 75% of college church disciples were having five evangelistic conversations a month. Imagine a thousand new professions of faith. You see, this is why we have in our plan this year to bring on board a new outreach pastor. Imagine what church could be. Imagine how exciting it would be to be a part of welcoming people into church and into Jesus all the time. First, come in. But not just in, also second, up. Imagine a church where people are on a spiritual growth curve up. Now this church, which uh, through Peter's empowered preaching and just had 3,000 people saved in a day, was now, we're told, all devoted. And that is emphasized by repetition that this is something we should do too in verse 42 and then verse 46. The word attending in verse 46 is the same that's translated as devoted in verse 42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching as are we to be. Uh, John Stott commented on this, that when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the first thing he did was send the disciples to study the Bible. Some people today think of spirituality as at the opposite end of the uh, extreme to Bible study. But the Holy Spirit does not. Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, opened a school for people to study God's Word. You know, if someone is uh, telling you that you need to grow in your spiritual life and then is offering you a tool to do that which is not learning from the Bible, then that person is saying something that the Holy Spirit does not say. When the Holy Spirit comes with power, He always points people to the Apostle's Word. And of course for us today, listening to the apostles' teaching as commissioned by Jesus as the authoritative messengers of the New Testament means for us today listening to the transformative message of the Bible's teaching. This is why as a church we will always be committed to the exposition of God's word from the cradle to the grave, from the pulpit to the kindergarten. You know, one of the criticisms I sometimes get is for using too much Bible you know, I'd rather be criticized for using too much Bible than be criticized for ignoring the book that people died that we might have in our hands to read and that Jesus himself taught that we do not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. A recent statistic I saw showed that 75% of churchgoers in America wished the church would help them understand the Bible better. I uh, visit other churches when I'm on study leave, boy is there a famine for the Word of God. But then what do we have to be so proud about? We come out here to hear God's Word on Sunday morning, but how many of us come back Sunday evening? Do we think that one spiritual meal is enough for a week? Be resolved to, committed to, devoted to God's word. They were also devoted to the fellowship. Now, of course, the word fellowship as we use it today can imply a little more than a cup of coffee together at best, or worse, a sort of Christian cocktail circuit but not much of a growth curve up spiritually. But you know, actually, the barrier often to our spiritual growth is a lack of biblical fellowship. Now, you see, the word translated fellowship basically means sharing. So because you have fellowship, you share with other fellows in the church, They not only met all together as a very large group in Solomon's Colonnade or 3,000 plus of them, but also in homes or smaller gatherings. Are you doing that? I uh, go to a small group myself. I also have a couple of pastor friends that I regularly keep in contact with and help me uh, stay honest. One of them uh, called me out recently for not going to a conference that I was not speaking at. You got too big, Josh, to go to a conference where you're not speaking? We all need people around us to set us straight. Do you have that? You know, I think in our area here, in this part of the country, one of the key hindrances to biblical fellowship is actually money. There's no getting around it. There are many wealthy people in Wheaton. Plus, I'm told, um, the stock market is at an all-time high. I have to be told these things because I'm not sure the difference between stocks and whatever the other things are that some of you spend your lives doing. Apparently it's doing pretty well. And then I look at where we are in our budget right now. we should be at 100 percent of budget and more. That is, if we are devoted to biblical fellowship, which means sharing of our resources for the purpose of the kingdom. Believing that the tool of the kingdom is the church and our primary giving to God's kingdom is therefore to the church. You know, if you're feeling stuck spiritually, then I have a solution for you. Serve and give. That is engage in fellowship. That will unstuck you. They were devoted to teaching, to fellowship, and to worship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. This worship was with awe, or fear, verse 43, and joy, verse 46. All reverence and no joy can become sad. All gladness and no awe can become superficial. Biblical worship is marked by a palpable sense of the awesome presence of God and at the same time by an overwhelming joy that is almost tangible. That's the biblical balance, awe and joy. Some only emphasize the reverent side of the biblical balance, some only the joy side, but biblical worship is so marked by awe that none can mistake that we worship a holy God. And also so marked by joy that none can mistake that we experience the favor of this holy God we worship. It's a bit like being picked as the starting quarterback in the Super Bowl. It would scare the living daylights out of you and thrill you at the same time. In worship, you are in the joyful presence of the awesome God. Actually, this spiritual growth curve up is the grand purpose of the whole of Acts and Luke's two-volume work, starting with the Gospel of Luke at the beginning of the first volume, Luke's Gospel. Luke said there that he was writing so that we may know the certainty of the things we have been taught. That is a growth curve up through confidence and certainty by means of teaching. That's why we're uh, launching that series on cross and culture next week to tackle from the Bible some of the big issues in our day and then have Q&A on them together in the evening as well. That sounds, that sounds great, you say, but, but I just can't figure out how. Imagine. Imagine 95% of college church disciples in a smaller gathering or discipleship group of some kind. And next Sunday we have group day. When you will have the opportunity to get involved with a group. Perhaps you're in a group that started years ago that needs revival. Or you're brand new to college church. You're trying to find a way to connect and, 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 and make friends and, and find a home. We have small groups and other smaller gatherings like adult communities, groups for men and women, groups for disabilities and youth and college and mental health and more. Our growth curve up as a church, we measured partly by our commitment to groups and gatherings for men and also women. This is why we've just brought on College Church's first director of women's ministries to resource our already excellent women's ministries. But not just groups, prayer. Our leadership this year has been thinking a lot about our prayer life as a church recently. Imagine 1,000 College Church disciples at an all-church Sunday night prayer gathering. It says here they met daily in the temple courts. Well, that's what happens when a church is revived. You want to worship Jesus. You want to be together. You know, when when there's a new couple that is uh, recently falling in love, you don't have to tell them to spend time together. They want to. Imagine a church with 4,000 college church disciples in joyful and awesome worship each weekend. This is why the congregation here has set up a site and facilities committee. In the last few years, the Lord has been opening doors for property right next door to our campus to boost the ministries. Five houses uh, on, the, on, on one side of the sanctuary, the bank on the, on, on the corner. Imagine Imagine how exciting it would be to be a part of a church that is boosting its ministries for the next generations so that we are all on a spiritual growth curve up. First come in, then spiritual growth curve up, but also third, out. Imagine a church where as people come in, as they are on a growth curve up, they are also going out. Out. You see, this book of Acts is actually framed around this this movement. The top and tail of the book, the start and finish are framed around a kingdom movement out. At the start, chapter one, Jesus spends a whole forty days teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. Forty days. We feel good if we have a forty minute sermon. Forty days Why so long? Because Acts says Luke's Gospel only describes what Jesus began to do and teach. But now Acts shows what Jesus is still doing today through Jesus' disciples. And Jesus is training them for that. You see, Jesus' redemptive work was fully completed at the cross. But his mission work is not finished, he ascended. And having ascended, he poured out on his people his Holy Spirit. And we, not just the apostles, who in the book of Acts, after the first few chapters or so, pretty much fade into the background. Many of them are hardly mentioned again. Now We, Jesus' church of Philip and Stephen and Barnabas and numberless Christians who took the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome, The church are witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth to expand the kingdom impact out. And so at the finish of Acts, at the end of chapter 28, they are in Rome, the gateway to the ends of the earth. And the good news of that kingdom that Jesus had taught his disciples about at the start is being preached there. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means that a local church, then, is never meant to be just a local church. In a sense, every local church is a global church. You know, Christianity is not some minority report. It is the largest religion in the world by a long, long way. A third of the entire population of the world, they claim, to the name of Christ. So being part of a biblical church is not like being part of a spiritual club whose concerns are only for their own private piety. Being part of a biblical church, yeah, it's like being part of a family, yes, but a family with a corporate global reach, You know, it is, it is a, a high calling to serve as a pastor and I wouldn't want to diminish that in any regard whatsoever. But of course, it does have its challenges from time to time. One of them is the, the sort of social dynamic. You know, you meet a new person and you begin to engage in social chit-chat and before too long, they ask you what you do And when you tell them what you do, they immediately, I find, have a choice. They either talk about God or they talk to someone else. (laughs) Uh, I once heard a pastor who came up with a novel solution. He was sitting next to someone on a plane and she asked him what he did. He said, I am a representative for a global company. She sounded interested in that. What what, what business are you in? She asked. He said, oh, um, we're in the life change industry. We train children and teenagers and equip men, women and families. We look after old people too. We have hospitals and schools. We, We care for the poor. Wow, she says, that sounds amazing. Oh, yes, he said, we are everywhere. We have a a branch on every continent. We're in every country in the face of the planet. My goodness, she says, who do you work for? The church. Have you heard of it? (laughs) Being part of Cottage Church means you are part of a global enterprise. You have more than 100 global missionary representatives all around the world. You have completed several church plants too, most recently in Lombard. Now imagine being part of a church that sends out 200 missionary units to expand the kingdom of God around the globe. Imagine... A church that sends out the Word of God proclaimed over media and radio outside the walls of the church to five cities in partnership with God-centered life. So pastors are equipped for global kingdom work at another one-night-centered-on-God conference. Imagine a church that sends out 15 church plants to expand the kingdom of God around the globe. This is why we uh, have uh, brought on just this year to the team three new pastoral residents. And we plan to bring on three more in the succeeding years so that we can train them up and then send them out to do church planting and church revitalization wherever God should lead them. I've uh, always thought of myself as something of a rugged individual, not particularly needy or dependent on other people. Uh, Like most English men, I had my tear ducts removed at birth, (laughs) you see. I uh, went to... uh, boarding school pretty long pretty young and in that sink or swim environment God mercifully allowed me to thrive and survive. God provided Christians there real fellowship but to be frank I didn't think I particularly needed them as such. I traveled right around America and Canada for a year before college and then after college I went on the mission field I don't know whether you've ever been to an Orthodox Christian service, but if you do, prepare for a long morning. The country I was serving in was historically Orthodox, and we would sometimes go to their services. Of course, to begin with, I didn't understand a word. Later, I could grasp more, but still, and even at churches where the gospel was being preached, it was still being preached in another language, from my heart language. I remember coming back after all that time away and going into an evening service in a small church in Cambridge. There were not that many people there, but as I'm afraid is typical for me when I visit a church, I found my way to the back seat of the balcony and sat down there. And as they started to sing, I began to weep. I was among God's people. I cannot tell you that cottage church is perfect. And I can tell you that no church is perfect. If you find one, don't join it. You're only spoiled. But I can tell you this. The vision of the kingdom of God is what must fuel your imagination when you think about church. Imagine a church far from perfect, no doubt, but where there is a kingdom movement of people coming in and growing up and going out. Imagine the global impact of that church. Everyone who comes to college church can be a part of an exciting kingdom movement when you imagine what a church is could be. Who would have thought that these disciples, this movement of all the movements in the ancient world would have such an impact? Who would have thought it? We look around at our culture today, our our, our times, our situation, the challenges we face as a society and as a church. We wonder what God is doing about it and I, under the authority of God's word in the book of Acts, have an answer for you. What he is doing is expanding his kingdom by building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you're looking to be a part of an exciting global movement of the kingdom of God, look no further. Look no further than the church. You say, Really? The church? That church with that old woman hobbling in on frail legs. That church with that spotty teenager who can hardly stand next to someone of the opposite sex without blushing from head to toe. That church, really? Yes, really. That church with all its obvious humanity. You know that old woman you notice? Well, she is a prayer warrior who daily intercedes for you, and under God is the reason for your spiritual success. And that spotty teenager is right now being prepared to be another mighty preacher in the land who will shake heaven and rescue souls from the gates of hell. The church. I cannot tell you why Jesus chose to use such a weak strategy. But in his sovereign power, he has decided when he ascended to heaven to pour out his spirit on the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. The weak things of this world that his power may be made perfect in our weakness. His spirit on the church. That we might, through His empowering, be the tool that He uses to accomplish His kingdom purpose of taking the gospel of the kingdom to the furthest corners of the earth. Imagine. Imagine church as it could be, and having imagined, then devote yourself to the purpose of Jesus through His people, the church. Here are four simple steps. Number one, spend time this afternoon in prayer, asking God to give you a renewed vision for the biblical church. Number two, come back next week ready to join a group. Number three, invite a neighbor or work colleague to come to church with you next week for the start of our cross and culture series. Number four, resource the vision of the church through your giving so that we can start this year at 100% of budget. In all, that is, put into your mind's eye what you see when you think of church. This picture from Acts of the church as a tool of Jesus' kingdom with people coming in and growing up and going out. The Acts of Jesus through his empowered church. Taking the message of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, would you then graciously simulate our faithful imagination? that we might see what it is that church could be. And would you then also spur us on to be devoted in fear of you with awe and also with great joy. For we pray it for the extension of your kingdom and in your name. Amen.